0: Coinworld Plus is your new way to collect. Manage your inventory, digitally authenticate coins, create your want list, buy and sell coins and much more. Learn more about Coinworld Plus at coinworldplus.com or download the app now at Google Play or the App Store. Welcome to the Coinworld podcast. With your host Jeff Stark, and
1: as I've said from day one of this show, this is a big tent hobby. There's a lot of room for folks,
0: and Larry Jewett, and learning has been such a tremendous amount of this journey. The Coin World Podcast.
1: The Coin World Podcast is delighted to be back in the new year with another podcast. We are so thrilled to be back. Thank you for being here today.
0: And it's not just another podcast. It's another Coin World podcast as we have 2023. Happy New Year. I'm Larry Jewett joining you along with Jeff Stark, who is the voice you just heard right there. And boy, am I so glad to be able to be talking to you once again, because we got a lot of great things happening. This is a positive new year. Let's keep it that way.
1: Yes, I I did test positive (laughs) in the new year, so there's lots of stuff going on. We were on the heels of a very busy, fun show, a very successful New York International Numismatic Convention, and today uh, we're back with a guest, this time Serge Peltier, an author and well known to hopefully to longtime coin world readers for his contributions in the past. He's up north in Canada for those based in the US. I say that because I think last year we had folks in 87 countries listening to the coin world podcast. So I have to clarify, but Serge is up in Canada. He talks about his book numismatics for everyone. You'll have to stick around for that in just a bit.
0: Well, and I think we need to work on getting that Canadian listenership picked back up once again. Because, But you mentioned 87 countries. Canada happened to be the second one. Australia, third. Fourth was United Kingdom and Germany coming in fifth. So it blows my mind to imagine there are 87 countries where we had listenership here because in the collection of my birth year coins – from the world. I can't get 87 countries because the year I was born, there weren't 87 countries making coins. So this for us in 2022, the episodes to make it. Many of you remember the hiatus that we had there during the summertime. So that means we only had 39 episodes, but still the success, thanks to you, the listeners, we were able to drive ourselves up into uh, one of the top 10% of the podcast in 2022. But that's all because of you. It's not because of us it's because of you and because of your suggestions your recommendations and above all else your listenership and your subscription on the various platforms that we have it right there we're excited for the prospect of 2023 because there may be some improvements which doesn't mean you're getting rid of me but still the idea that there may be some things that we could do in the works and we'll see how it takes us there we're just going to go i mean i i can't imagine i wasn't there in the beginning jeff but did you imagine it being what it is today
1: you know, I think we knew that there was the potential, but it—it's amazing to look back at what a hundred and seventy. What, what? How many episodes have we done? It, It's—it's
0: one eighty-two. Uh, I think one
1: eighty-two. Okay. You know, we're coming up on four-year anniversary in a couple months, so it's uh, exciting. We there's always something to learn, always something to explore, think about. You know, some of my favorite shows in the past. It's really been a, a fun, creative outlet for these years because, you know, there, it's not like there are no limits. I mean, you know, there's no time limit, but we don't want to talk about coins for 10 hours. Nobody's going to listen to that. But, you know, in, in the weekly and, and the monthly, you know, every week we get, Hey, this is our page count. This is the space you have. You know, we don't have that with the coin world podcast in as much as we just kind of um you know, play it by ear. Sometimes it's a little longer if the conversation goes that way, and and we're vibing and and liking what the expert the the guest has to say and and share with you. So we get to chart our own path in that regard, and it's been so rewarding to go to a show, to get an email, to get a message on Facebook, people saying, "Hey, thanks for doing the podcast. It's constant companion while I'm doing dishes or commuting or." whatever the case may be. And so we're glad to be here. We're glad you're there. On the other side, we're glad for folks like Amos Plus and Amos Advantage in the past and Numismatic Auctions LLC, all these folks that sponsored us last year, and maybe we'll get some other names into the mix in 2023.
0: Yeah, and interesting as you mentioned, you know, a lot of times the podcast serves as background. We don't expect you to sit there and just take notes on the podcast, but it was interesting that some friends of mine who are in the ammunition business said that they listen to the podcast on occasion and they're thinking about, you know, dabbling into a world of numismatics just because we make it sound like it's so much fun. And I said there's no question it is fun. That's what got a lot of people involved in this and speaking of fun, that makes it the natural transition because we just recently had the Florida United Numismatist show that happened in Orlando. Thank you to a number of you who stopped by our booth at 102 and said some kind things about the podcast here. I had a chance to meet a couple of the folks directly, but a lot of folks just talked to Jake or Kelly or some of uh, somebody there and expressed how much you appreciate the podcast. So thank you all for taking your time. It was a very, very busy show, and for you to do that means a lot to us. I did have an opportunity to meet a few folks out on the floor, like Derek Higgins and David Massey. Actually, I met him out on the floor as well. So it's just great to see that. And of course, we welcome your suggestions. This is not our podcast. Well, it has to have a title. That's why we call it the Coin World Podcast, but it's for you, the numismatist back on the fun show, great time, very very busy time, a lot of favorable reports. We got a write up in it coming up in our January 30th issue of the Coin World Weekly Magazine. You know, just having the chance to be there and get things going. A lot of folks experience some travel delays. That's going to become the mantra it seems like for the early season travel that's out there, but we're you know, we're hearing that business was really really good. A lot of folks were finding what they were looking for. Some were finding prices to be what they wanted to be. I personally, one of my favorite parts is going to some of the seminars and some of the educational presentations. And Tom Walker's was very interesting. Colonel Steve Howard had a very interesting one. Scott Travers, always entertaining. And the big thing for me, One of the things that we'll be talking about this more in the future was the astronaut memorial foundation and we met those folks last year we had a chance to do a video with them but this group raises funds for the education center for space education and this year they came up last year they were focusing on the apollo 11 50th anniversary coin that mike olson from the citizens coinage advisory committee put together mike is now on the board for the astronaut memorial foundation and they worked with elite coinage company and developed a note it has no denomination it's a commemorative note for the astronaut memorial foundation and through that i was able to meet laura Shepard churchy who is the daughter of alan Shepard, who was the first man in space and she had an opportunity to go to space she was in the mission the blue origin mission with michael strahan and four others And it was just for me, it was just fascinating, just absolutely fascinating by that. And, you know, the idea that I grew up as a kid in the era, 20 miles from John Glenn, grew up in an era where space exploration was new and exciting. And now, you know, 60 years later, it's still, in many respects, as exciting with the intent to return back to the lunar missions with Artemis. But that was just one area. There was so much going on. We had the graders were doing their work out there. And panning for gold, you had also, you know, some of the events that you expect, a huge display of educational displays. Man, you learn so much just by going down one aisle there. and, and, And Bob and Donna do a great job with that. But this being the last really fun convention for Cindy Webker and the job she's done and Katie Williams going to be taken over. So, I mean, it just goes on and on and on about all the things that happened there. And if you attended, I certainly hope that you had as positive a show as I had. And I'm really jacked up for this year. It's going to be great.
1: Yeah, No, you I didn't ask, but can't you know, help but ha- feel a little jealous. <laughs>
0: Well, now that I assign your travel, you know, I'm going to be cherry picking. So, you know, I got this one. So I owe you one.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, it, the weather cooperated here in St. Louis. It wasn't that bad. But Florida in January is always a big draw for me, regardless, <laughs> regardless. And then when you had you a coin show on top, man, you had a blast. I wish I'd been there. So. And especially in light of what happened with. I was unable to go to the New York International because of getting COVID and and travel plans. There was all the chaos with the airlines that messed things up. It it was just easier to not go, and especially in light of the fact that I'm getting ready for Berlin, the first World Money Fair since 2020. This will be, I hope, a triumphant return. Been making quite the schedule, even going in extra time ahead because. There's so many folks we haven't seen in three years. We're trying to squeeze it all in. I'm really looking forward to a good World Money Fair coming up. And that maybe will, you know, salve some of the wounds from missing fun in New York.
0: Oh, I think it will, especially because, you know, we know what it was like when we came back from the hiatus with the podcast. It was like a welcome opportunity to come back. And I can't imagine what it must be like to have to try to recapture and rekindle what happened years ago now because I there is so much talk about Berlin 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 it's coming back there the world money fair it's coming back it's coming back and so many people are so looking forward to it like you are here you're going to be quite busy there's no doubt about that but I'm sure that you're going to be able to make those connections and come up with that information I expect you to take oh a good 10 minutes at a future podcast to tell us about what all you went through
1: Okay. Okay. For sure. We'd definitely do that. But but now, instead of looking to the future and, and what I will deliver, it's time for me to deliver a little delve into the past. You know, one of the joys is looking back and seeing what happened back when. And I'm gonna stay not too far away, relatively speaking, January sixteenth, two thousand two, for this week in numismatic history. What happened on that day? Well, it's my sister's birthday, but that doesn't matter in this context. In 2002, that was the day that the New York Federal Reserve Bank Museum opened the Drachmas, Doubloons, and Dollars exhibition. And you're saying, what does a museum exhibit have to do? Like, why is that important?
0: Okay, let me say it. Why is that important?
1: (laughs) Because... That exhibition, now this is 2002, January 16th. It did not open as part of that exhibit, but the exhibit would later come to include the only legal-to-own 1933 gold double eagle. Uh Thank God in the coin. So, you know, that sale was in 2002 in, I want to say, like July, August, somewhere in there, right? it was the 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 a was at it was in New york that was the last time the a a was in New york and may have been the last time a major national u s show was was in the city you know the new york international i love it it's great it's a little more boutique it's a little more you know it's obviously international focused you can't really find u s coins on the bourse in fact there was a a rule set up when richard margolis I believe founded the show that they couldn't have anything newer than 1836 when the steam presses came to the US mint. They could have US coins earlier than that, but they couldn't be anything newer than that. But it is a it is a smaller show just because it's, you know, it's confined to a floor or two if you will of of a hotel whereas the A is this massive bourse that may have been the last time, 2002, the last time that the big sh- a big show was there in New York City. But the Double Eagle sold at that show later in 2002. I don't believe it was part of the exhibit until after the sale. Could be wrong. It's happened once or twice already today. But that's why I picked it out because it's it's and and it's you know going back to New York since I didn't get to go last week. <laughs> That was what jumped out to me. You know, there's plenty of other options you could talk about. In January 18, 1950, Canada announced a design contest for the 1951 5-cent coin for the 200th anniversary isolation and nickel. January 18th, 2000, the U.S. Mint began shipping the Sacagawea dollar. There's plenty of stuff that was happening this time. But hey, 1933 Double Eagle, that was a big story last year, right? And so that's why I focused on that for this week in numismatic history.
0: I think that was a good choice as well. I mean, there are a number of worthy candidates, but that one is very definitely so because it's very impactful on that one. We've got an interview coming up with Serge Pelletier. Is that how you pronounce his name? Pelletier. 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 That's right. I, I I can't read my own writing. It's Serge Pelletier is going to be speaking with us a little bit later on here today. And, so, uh, uh,
1: Serge, Serge began his numismatic writing career in 1978. So, we're we're looking uh, this week in Coin World history. We're looking back at the January 18th, 1978 edition of Coin World, and interestingly enough, the lead story takes us back to New York City, the site of the New York International for nigh on fifty years, and uh, fifty plus years, I guess. And I was surprised to read this story. It was one with which I was not familiar. I've heard of the American Numismatic Society a theft that is credited to Dr. William Sheldon, he of Penny Whimsy and, and all that. But this was a different theft. The headline is, New York detectives grab 70 ANS coins, arrest one suspect. So, New York City undercover detectives broke wide open on January 4th, the August 1977 armed robbery that saw more than $900,000 in rare coins stolen from the American Numismatic Society headquarters. Police arrested Eric Hagerbrandt, 22, and in the process recovered 70 of the 94 early American coins allegedly stolen in a Sunday robbery. Hagerbrandt had previously been arrested by the FBI on November 1st in New Haven. He was free on bond. This was a, a, I say kid, he was a a man at that point, 22, but a a senior at Hunter College in New York City that stole these coins. And according to this story, 84 of the 94 coins originally believed stolen were recovered either back in the society's hands or hands of law enforcement officials. I don't know the postscript to this story i don't I assume they got all ninety four back it's It's curious to learn of this though because you know the Sheldon story is far more widely known i think in the hobby, especially because of his stature as an author and and you know the Sheldon scale of grading is is was his But this was a new one on me. And I love learning new stuff about the hobby. And that was, I don't want to say fun for me to read because it's, you know, it's a sad story, a theft and all that. But it it really was interesting to read that. That's what piqued my interest.
0: Well, theft is a big deal no matter when, because, I mean, it's still very, very much in the news when you hear about some of the things that have happened here. It's just maybe not of the magnitude of what was reported in 1978. Things were a lot different in 1978, and that's evident in the letters. We have one letter here that's especially, even though it's a little long, it's called No Real Solution. I received my copy of the official ANA grading standards yesterday and would like to commend A. Kossoff, Abe, uh, Ken Bresset, and Q. David Bowers and all the others for involved in this long-awaited publication. I would especially like to compliment Q. David Bowers for the best part of the entire book, the introduction. In my opinion, the only thing the book will accomplish is to make official the Sheldon Numeric Grading Scale 1-70. to In other words, everyone will now know that AU55 is now choice about uncirculated, not borderline uncirculated, etc. While this standardization is all well and good, the book itself, in my opinion, will do little to resolve the real grading problem, that being overgrading. I have been a coin collector for more than 20 years and have yet to be able to grade a real-life coin by a fine drawing. I bought my copy of Brown & Dunn with line drawings many years ago, After trying to use it and finding it almost impossible, I just put it away in the closet. When Jim Ruddy's Photo Grade was published, I finally had a grading guide with which I could grade real-life coins by actual comparison. If the new ANA grading book used actual photos rather than line drawings, then I believe it would go much further in resolving the hobby's grading problem. All the new book is to me is a beefed-up Brown & Dunn with the incorporation of the Sheldon Grading Scale. In my opinion, if we'd done the same with photograde, we would have had a much better and valuable end result. Universal acceptance and repeated and continual day-to-day usage by a large majority of numismatists would help to resolve the grading issue. As an extremely active numismatist, the new ANA grading guide will do very little to aid me in properly grading coins. I, for one, since I have no other better alternative... We'll continue to use Ruddy's photo grade along with the Sheldon numerical scale. For uncirculated and proof grades not covered by Ruddy, the written description from the ANA grading guide will suffice. I, for one, look forward to seeing a new photo grade updated to include photos of all the Sheldon grades. I just hope I don't have to wait as long as I did between the releases of the initial Brown and Dunn and photo grade 12 years. I'm afraid that many other collectors, investors, dealers, etc., like myself, We'll just have another coin book on the shelf as line drawings never gained widespread acceptance. While this new grading book is sitting on the shelf, our old enemy, the grading problems, will persist to haunt the hobby. The name was withheld. The gentleman or lady, whoever it was, was from Rochester, New York. So there you have it. A good snapshot of the times and what was happening huh. as we rest toward third-party grading
1: and And, boy, how things have changed forty five years later. We're looking at the launch of another grading service third party authentication. You have a ten point grading scale being adopted for some new newer issues lots of yeah you know, grading is <laughs> is one of those topics that is always giving folks. Something to discuss for sure. And, you know, even the ANA's grading guide has taken leaps and bounds since publication of those earlier editions. So good good stuff. Good stuff.
0: Indeed. Indeed. Well, I don't have much hope that I'm going to get a good grade on trivia if you got something, though.
1: You know, I'm going to need a mulligan on this because I totally dropped the ball on being ready for trivia. It's That's what happens when you take time off. You get out of the rhythm of this, so maybe we can get back to that next episode. I I think is that
0: is I think that so. Fair? Yeah, okay. I think so. Yeah, I think. Well, I mean, it's just it's going to improve the quality of what we do. So I think. Yeah. So. I mean, I, I, truthfully, I'm more excited to hear what Serge had to say than I was in answering a question. So I'm well, glad it happened there, that
1: way. You know, the one thing is his book gives me a thousand or three thousand or whatever potential trivia questions. Because his book is phenomenal with details about, you know, different denominations and and things in the hobby. Oh, my gosh, I'm, I'm going to use that now, maybe instead of the coin world trivia game. <laughs> but anyway, now check out the interview with Serge Peltier that I did here recently about his book, Numismatics for Everyone. Thank you so much for being here today Serge Peltier you are the recipient well earned the J Douglas Ferguson Award in 2015 that's the highest honor in Canadian numismatics you've received numerous awards from the Royal Canadian Numismatic Association and the Numismatic Literary Guild you've even written for Coin World in the past yeah. Among- among other places. Now, you've written at least three books, I think it is, on municipal trade tokens, which is a fascinating area of Canadian numismatics. But all that being said, that's not why you're here today. You have a new book out called Numismatics for Everyone. We're going to get into that in just a moment. Thank you so much for being here. My pleasure, Jeff. So I want to talk about, you know, so if if I didn't establish your credentials enough yet with the listeners, you've been an active collector, I think, l- longer than I have been alive. When did you start collecting? And, and talk about your collecting journey, please.
2: Well, I guess I started collecting in 1968, which is longer than you've been alive. From, from the leftover coins from my parents' travel. And they had just returned from Europe. And my dad gave me the leftover coins and a couple notes. And I could, I could, I was already speaking English and French back in those days. And I couldn't make out the various countries like Deutschland. I, I knew it was Germany. But there's one that really stuck me. And the coin said, Suomen tasse And so I couldn't make sense of that. We didn't have computers back then, So I asked my dad where it came from. And he said Finland. And very quickly you developed,
1: I mean, were you collecting world coins from the get-go because of their trips? Or did you then shift focus to Canadian stuff? I mean, how did did you move forward in that? You know, I think every collector has this, that journey of, initially of, Being exposed to
2: everything in 76, actually, or 77. I found the Jim Charlton catalog on Canadian coins, banknotes, and tokens. And believe it or not, at that time, I thought I was, before that, I thought I was the only guy collecting coins. Because in my area, there wasn't any coin dealers or coin clubs or any of that. So through that, Charlton catalog, I discovered Canadian coins, started going through my uncle's vast boxes of coins, and I was able to find coins from the 1920s all the way to the 60s there. Some really interesting pieces, a couple U.S., and then it, it carried on. Then uh, there was the Olympics in Montreal in 76. Then men started uh, issuing uh, special coins for that. I got those. And then eventually we moved to Quebec City. And there, the famous Winter Carnival issued tokens, $1 tokens. Okay. So I had to buy them because, you know, I collected, I was a coin collector. And I came to find out through the CN Journal, the Canadian Numismatic Journal, that Edmonton, Niagara, uh, Midland were issuing similar tokens. I actually wrote to Jim Charlton back then, asked him if there was a catalog on what we called then Canadian trade tokens. And there wasn't. So I started listing the tokens and taking notes and my first book was published by Charlton Press in 1980, and I was 19 at the time.
1: Wow, <laughs> I was one at the time, <laughs> but 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 it's very impressive to have a book out at at such a young age. And as as you say though, that really, I mean, when I as as long as I've been at Coin World, especially the early years, as long as I thought of you, I thought of the you know municipal trade tokens you wrote several subsequent books and and when did you <clears throat> when did you begin this shift of of looking at numismatics in such a broader sense because that's what's very apparent in looking at numismatics for everyone the new book published by lighthouse you know you have a facility with the canadian numismatics but it's really everything if i want to you know look at a you know 17th century European coin denomination. You've got a a catalog description in here, and it's essentially a dictionary. So, you know, to have that familiarity and knowledge, you had to you had to make that leap. How did you make that leap?
2: Well, you know, I've I've always been interested in history, and that's why I carried on collecting coins. And it's not because I was writing about municipal trade tokens that I was wasn't looking at the rest. But the the real interest came in the 1990s when Trajan hired me to be the editor of Les Monnaies, which was the first commercial French language magazine in, in North America. And then I figured, okay, what do I use in French? Do I use the Quebecisms, which are for the most part anglicisms, or do I use the correct words? Because I started getting magazines from France and books and, and looking into that. And I decided to use the proper terminology. And from that was born my dictionary in 2008, which was bilingual dictionary, English, French,
1: Yes, I I I had you've you've already got an idea of where I was going to go because <laughs> this is you know this numismatics for everyone. It was published late last year, is my sense, because that's when I received my copy. You know, with a title like that, you might think this is a treatise on the allure of the hobby for everyone, but it's really a, a comprehensive dictionary. And as you know, that's rooted in that book fifteen years ago almost. And I remember hearing about your book back then when it came out, and I think it may have even sold out, but it was, you know, such an important work and such a good work. What did you learn in doing that book that then you were able to use to make this book? And, and I guess, you know, the earlier work was fairly comprehensive. How are these two books different then?
2: Well, I need to talk about my full-time career I was okay with the army (laughs) with the army I was in the army 31 years and when I retired I started to work with the Department of Defense as a public servant as a terminologist so you know the how to define the various terms in both English and French since they are two official languages yes and I, I got involved at the NATO level as well for, for the same thing. So that I really learned a lot from how to write a dictionary, if you will. And the crux of this book is really when I continued, you know, adding stuff to my 2008 book. Okay. And then I was about to publish a second edition. But then a chance find on the on the internet brought me to a non-numismatic book that has a tremendous amount of of information to be used in numismatics. And that was a nineteenth a century book for the cambists, which are, you know, the money exchanger. Okay. And really in that book which had been commissioned by the British government, every port in the world was mentioned. With the currency used in that port, the different measurements used, you know, whether it's pound or or, or not in those days yet, but kilos, three different ports in Germany were all using the Reichstahler, but they were broken down into different subsidiary currencies. Hmm. So I started noting that down. And a week later, I found the same book in French. And that really kicked everything in. I started pulling information out of that. And for the next two years, I basically pulled out information of books, the past four centuries. Is that all? (laughs) Yeah. yeah. I was kind of lazy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, my, my Latin isn't that good, so I couldn't go before that. Quite all right. So, so you, the, the job
1: taught you linguistic skills and, and sharpened your knowledge, and then you've also became exposed to much greater depth of research.
2: That's, all incorporated into
1: this new book.
2: Yes. Okay. So this new book is really a key. Why is it numismatics for everyone? It's because it is the key to understanding numismatics of the past four centuries.
1: So this is sort of a duolingo of numismatics, but in French and English.
2: (laughs) Yeah, an encyclopedic dictionary in both English and French.
1: So um, I, I guess this is where I wanna play devil's advocate. Why do I need this when I can just go Google a term? I mean, what's the, I mean, this is this is a whopper of a book, 460 pages or something like that. And yeah, it's 462 pages. What's, obviously you have the authoritative stuff here, but you know, let me play devil's advocate there. What's What do you offer that I can't just get elsewhere?
2: Well, if you're a researcher or if you read stuff from the 19th century, and you'll see documents that speak of Rix dollars, R I X dollars. Yeah, yeah. And in French, you'll see something that speaks of Richterl, so R I C H E D A L E. And basically, if you go to those entries, you'll find out that there are different names for the Reichstaler, for the German coin. So you you've connected a lot of the dots, then it sounds like.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay, I do. Like I say, I love it. It's it's enormous. It's bilingual because of it's coming out of Canada, and that's like you have to have everything bilingual,
2: right? I mean, is that no? We don't have to have everything bilingual. Okay. It's information that's important for collectors of both languages. If you check the back, there's an entry from a French numismatist that actually compares it to the Rosetta Stone. And what blew his mind was all much of the information about U.S. coins and and most Canadian coins and, and all that is available strictly in English. An opening door to the folks in France, the other French-language countries, to understand that numismatics. So, what's in it for you, for, for the new collector? Well, there are terms like PCGS, what it means. What's a quarter? You know, in Canada, we don't have quarters. Quarter in Canada is a nickname. Yeah. In the I state, uh, Natural coin. The
1: most fun I had was learning about the Cougar Rand, not the Kruger Rand, but the Cougar Rand.
2: Yes, this is, this is
1: a trade token issued for a town in Alberta in 1984 and 89. So I, it must have a cougar on it, and that's their play on the then, especially you know, in the news in the mid 80s, the gold Kruger Rand of
2: South Africa. So, <laughs> yeah, that was Hinton, Alberta. Yes, and, and yes, being a municipal trade token guy, I actually threw in some information about the various pieces. So I, I've got the focus because of what Canadian collectors collect, which is Canada, U.S., U.K., and France. I, I've got icons that identify those entries related to those fields, as well as one for Europe. Because many collectors worldwide are now focusing on unicorn. Yes,
1: and and I like up at the the beginning of the book, toward the front, you have a sort. You lay out a key of how to use this. You have the rose for indicating the English language. You have the fleur de lis for the French version. It, it's very intuitive once you spend ten minutes looking at several listings, and and you know you find you'll see a referral to the French version or the. You know, the English version, if you're reading a French listing, you'll see that referral to the place where it is found in the dictionary in the other language that the, you know, coordinating the the accompaniment language. So it, it is, I mean, it is enormously exhaustive and technical, but very approachable, very understandable if you just need to go find out the meaning of a florin, you know, you lay it all out or, or, you know, whatever the case may be, you know, Latin, certain Latin phrases that are found on coins, all sorts of stuff.
2: Every time I, I write something, I take my own point of view as a collector. What would I be interested in? And having collected for so long, there are different things, you know, what does that Latin sentence mean, for instance? on this German coin of of the 18th century. So that's why I've included that. And most numismatists are specialized in a field, right? Yeah. Be it U.S. silver dollars or, you know, the 13 colonies, notes and the tokens and so on. So very few people know about everything. So this is... A tool to help you explore <laughs> other areas of numismatics. Yeah. Oh,
1: for sure. One can spend hours and and it's just, you know, pick up the book and open the page randomly and, and find a couple listings. And I mean, it, it almost, you know, too bad Larry couldn't be here for this. Larry does trivia and I want Larry to see this book so he can get some ideas for trivia questions that would just be absolute stumpers. (laughs) If if there was a numismatic Jeopardy (laughs) show, this would be like the Bible for that.
2: (laughs) So yes.
1: (laughs) anyway, before we go, because I've already taken a lot of your time and there's noise in the background here. (laughs) What is your next project? If I may ask, or is that you keeping that close to the vest?
2: At this time, I'm keeping it close to the vest. Meanwhile, of course, as soon as this was was sent to the publisher, I started the next issue, the next edition. Okay, okay. (laughs) So Uh, now I've been pulling stuff still, and I've got quite a bit of additional material.
1: Oh, my gosh. There, there's always more to learn and to explore. I guess I will close then, since we don't, you don't want to go that direction. What's the state of the market in Canada? I mean, and maybe this is something you're not tuned in since you're more the academic side, but, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe maybe that's something you can speak to.
2: Market for coins? Yeah. I have absolutely no idea. As you say, my, my interest is more on on the quote academic although i don't consider myself an academic my interest is more on what's behind the coins the history the stories more than their value hey
1: that's that's perfectly fine i think there's you know we're all drawn to it differently but we all have a, a shared love of history i think or at least many of us do and so even if it's "Quote unquote," just the intellectual side of it—that's still very important and still worth exploring. And and that's why I wanted to have you talk about the book because it is a monster of a work. You know, some people might be scared at the the eighty dollar price tag, but it's one of these things that is, is in my library for my life, and I will use it all the time. And I'm a bibliophile anyway, and a numismatic bibliophile for sure. But, you know, can't say enough good things about this. A lot of work went into this, a lifetime of work, and it's a tremendous accomplishment.
2: Well, thank you, Jeff. And
1: thank you for being here today.
2: It's always a a pleasure to speak with you. Bye-bye.
1: And that was our interview with Serge Peltier, author of Numismatics for Everyone. It's a book for everyone, although I don't, you know, I don't see everybody buying it just because it's a little unconventional. You know, it's not a grading guide. It's not a an investment, you know, how to make money with with the hobby. But you know, that's not necessarily what we're here for. We're here to spread the joy of numismatics. It's kind of like the Joy of Cooking book, which is a famous book and, and I know of it especially because of its connection to St. Louis, the Rombauers. But so the joy of numismatics Shines through, shown through, really, in that interview with Serge Peltier. Hopefully, hopefully, you felt some of that joy in today's episode as well.
0: Well, I mean, but you kind of threw me for a loop there when you talk about the joy of cooking. I don't find joy in cooking. I find the joy in eating.
2: <laughs> well, that so too. that's
0: just, I know somebody has to cook. It doesn't have to be me, but certainly the book has plenty to offer anyone regardless of. I mean, it isn't the same old, same old in any respect here. And there's so much information in there. It's certainly a handy reference guide that you got to have. And we're glad that Serge took the time to talk to us here today. And we're glad that you took the time to be listening to us. Make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcast channel. So if that was one of your New Year's resolutions for 2023, please make sure you do that. Our New Year's resolution actually just encompasses trying to make the Coin World podcast a little bit better, and we welcome your suggestions on how we can do that. So please drop us a line. Let us know what you think. Let us know what we should do to make things better. Let you know what we can do to help you on your numismatic journey, because we haven't used the phrase in six episodes, this is a big tent hobby. So there you have it right there. <laughs> uh, I'll let you have the final word, Jeff. In the meantime, happy collecting. Thank you for listening to the CoinWorld Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you next week. CoinWorld Plus is your new way to collect. Manage your inventory, digitally authenticate coins, create your want list, buy and sell coins, and much more. Learn more about CoinWorld Plus at coinworldplus.com or download the app now at Google
1: Play or the App Store.